0: I'm going to stay right here in this place if you want to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. If you're a guest with us, we've been in a series going through Isaiah 61 for the last eleven weeks. And we're on verse four today. So it's been been a great study, a great time to dive into the Word of God and dig out what's in each verse. You know, I kind of feel like the Lord was already starting out ministering the the message uh, during the worship time and during that time just where we kind of spontaneously were responding to God and and just kind of going with the flow of the Spirit that God is... uh, He's into the rebuilding, the restoring, the uh, the redeeming business. Renewing, restoring, redeeming, and rebuilding. And so that's what, what we're going to focus in on today. And so I'm going to read Isaiah 61 here, just a few verses. It says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners "...will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours." I'll take that right there. (laughs) I'll take some of that. Everlasting joy is a a good thing right there. And so today we're going to focus in on on verse 4 here where it says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They'll renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And so, uh, of course, this is talking about for those who've got beauty instead of ashes, those who have the joy instead of mourning, those who've put on the garment of in praise instead of the spirit of despair, so the people of God is talking about you. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what it's talking about. God's given us a great exchange. I don't have time to review all that we've been through in the last 10 or 11 weeks, uh but you can find it online and uh and and choose your your favorite color and pick that one. Okay? Actually there's no colors, but there are numbers. So We've gone through all that, and then it says, hey, after all this has happened, guess what's going to happen? You know, it's not just about you being restored and rebuilt. Now you're going you're to go beyond that. You're going to rebuild the ancient ruins. You're going to restore the places long devastated. You're going to renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And so we're going we're to apply it a little bit to ourselves today, we're, but we're also going to be applying it to those that we are ministering to, those that God has put in our lives, the places where we live, our neighborhoods, the cities that we live in that God has put us in this city for a reason some of you don't know what the reason is but you're here for a reason you've been called to midland you've been sent here God hasn't let you leave if you're in, in obedience to him and following him you're say, stay here I'm only here because I obeyed God and then I got married and decided this is a good idea to stay so but we're we're here for a purpose and so, I want to talk a little bit about the, the word. The, the language here is really descriptive. It's, it, it uses the word ruin, it uses the word devastation. Um, in some other translation, it'll talk about like waste, laid waste, or wasteland. Uh, I mean, can you think about, you know, just in your own life or in the life of someone that you know of, can you think about where there's just been some desolation? There's just been some, there's just a wasteland. There's just ruin there. And we can all, if, if we haven't had it in our lives, we have probably had some. We all know somebody that has—they've seen their lives just—it's been ruined. I mean, really, this is the deal. Our our creation, the whole world, just got ruined. You know, this this doesn't look anywhere close to the Garden of Eden. I mean, we 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 are so far off track that. Uh, you know, it's not even funny. We can't even imagine it in some ways. We don't even know what to expect. We we expect ruin to be normal now. We expect devastation to be normal because it's just, hey, this is just the way life is. This is just the way it is. You can't do it until Jesus comes and says, no, no, there can be something more. There can be freedom. There can be life. There can be something that's 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 brought back from the dead. And so when I think of the word... Ruins, I mean, I think it was interesting uh, last night, I was uh, reading uh, what am I reading prince caspian i 'm reading evan is is in prince caspian it 's the next book we, I read to my kids every night they have a book and we read a book and a Bible part of the bible and so Evan is right now I just want to say i 'm proud of Evan because we 've just made it through forty chapters of isaiah, so he we 've been going through Isaiah every night for the past well, it's been more than 40 days. I was gone to Honduras. But, uh, you know, whenever we read, we, he, we, we are on chapter 40 of Isaiah. So here in about three weeks, we're going to get to Isaiah 61. It's going to be awesome. So, and finish the whole book out. But the book we're reading before the Bible is this. It's, he picked out Prince Caspian the other night. And uh, it's a, great. You, we'll read it. And so last night, here's the deal. Here's the chapter it's in. It's in chapter 2. And what happens, if you don't know the story of Prince Caspian, I'm going to briefly summarize it. If you've you've got these four children, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy... And in the first account of C.S. Lewis's book, they get taken to another land named Narnia through a magical wardrobe, okay? And there they meet all this stuff happens, they became queens and kings and queens, they reign forever. There's Aslan who is the Christ figure, who they meet him who's a lion and reveals that he dies and comes back to life just like Jesus and brings new life everywhere and then Then Aslan sets kings and queens in place to rule his land. Sounds kind of like the Bible where Jesus says, hey, guess what? I'm leaving and now you're in charge here. (laughs) It's like, are you sure? (laughs) Yes, I'm leaving and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. and He's going to anoint you so that you can do all this stuff. And so that's book one. At the end of book one, what happens? They go back to their regular place and they're kids again. They lived a whole lifetime in this magical land, and then they're back to being kids again, and only 30 seconds of their life has passed. So a year later, Prince Caspian is a year later, and they're at the train station, and they're about to go back to school, which is fascinating that we're in the back-to-school time. But they're about to go back to school, but they kind of feel tugged at the train station, and they get sucked by magic, of course, into this other Land again. They don't know where they've been, but they know it's somewhere that is not England. They're from England. Okay, we'll forgive them for that. So, <laughs> I just did that for my friend Trevor. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, so they're in this new land, and they they come to this place, and it's and it's an it's an ancient ruin. It's an old old castle, and so. There's, you know, stuff, ivy's grown all over it. The rocks are torn down. There used to be a roof on the main place. And they like, hey, this was probably like the main meeting hall. But it's all been, been torn off. There's stuff growing everywhere. It's just, it's just, it's just ruined. And the, here's the deal about ruins is that they don't, they, don't, they don't recognize where they are until they uncover a little bit more of the ruins. And then they finally discover that this is their castle. This is the place where they spent a whole lifetime ruling and reigning, but because it's in ruin, they don't recognize it for what it truly is. And I think that's what happens when our lives are ruined and when the lives of those we care about or come in contact are ruined. It's hard to tell what their life is supposed to look like because it's been so ruined. It's been covered up by stuff. There's stuff all, there's stuff growing in and out. There's things that have been broken. There's things that have been torn off. And so we can't really see what's there. But if we dig a little bit deeper, we can begin to recognize what this was supposed to be. And that's exactly what rebuilding ancient ruins is about it's about returning someone to who they were supposed to be returning you to your true identity the true identity of this castle was called care paravel but they didn't recognize it because of all the junk that was around it and it was only with really kind of a, a revelation kind of a an aha moment where they wait a second this looks familiar we we would take 16 steps down, the, down into the treasure chest. And so they count the steps, 16 steps. And then once, once they realize where they are, they know where to get around in the ruin. And so sometimes, whether it's our own life or someone else's life, it's hard to tell what's really there. It's easy for us to write someone off and say, that's just, they just, they've ruined their life. I mean, have you ever thought of that about someone else? I mean, it's true. We're not even saying it's not true. It's just like, then that person has ruined their life. Or their life has been ruined. It might be their choices. It might be the choices of someone else. Most of the time, it's a combination. You got people doing stuff to you, and you doing stupid stuff too. And that's how life gets ruined. And it's hard to recognize the true identity of what God created in that person. Interestingly enough, I looked up all the, all the Hebrew words here, and guess what they mean? They mean exactly what they say in English. There's no insight. And so I looked a little bit further. I was looking at the definition of devastation, and the definition of devastation on dictionary.com is this, to be devastated. Don't you love the dictionary sometimes where you look something up and it says this? This is this. Well, that's the same word. I don't know. Whatever. So, but. You know there's a but, right? Come on. So, but on the bottom it says, how about the synonyms and antonyms for devastation? And so I click on that. It said synonyms for devastation, ruin, you know, wreck, wasteland, all the different words that are kind of used here. And then it says the three antonyms. Oh, boy, I didn't even write them down um, on my notes. Okay, so the three antonyms of devastation are this. Construction, building, or creation. And it was the third one that really caught my, caught my attention was that devastation is the opposite of what God created. So anytime we see something in our lives or in the lives of those we care for, if it's like that is not the way God created it, that's devastation. And so God is in the business and he is in the business of anointing people with the spirit of the Lord, the lovers of God, the, the, the kings and queens who he has set over his kingdom to say, hey, hey do all this until I come back said, hey, guess what? You get to be a part of seeing someone restored to their created purpose and what they were supposed to look like because everyone was created by God to be someone who followed Him and walked with Him. That's why He created human beings to have a relationship with Him, to to have closeness with Him. There it is. I found it in my notes. (laughs) It's in a different spot. So here's the three things we do with ruins. Three things we do with ruins. Number one is we ignore them. It's easy just to say, I'm just not going to deal with that right now. We're just going to pretend that's not here. I'm just going to, you know, if I get sent to a ruined place, let's just get out of here. We're going to leave it alone. Bye-bye. The second thing that we do with ruins is we memorialize them. You know, when I went to Ireland, man, there's, uh, we went to Ireland a couple years ago now, uh, and they have all kinds of, of ruins. They have all kinds of castles. I mean, it's just a, you know, all this, it's green. There's amazing, it's just beautiful land. And so we went to this one place that was... Uh, a ruin, a castle, a fort on the edge of the of the coast, the southern coast. I don't remember the name of it. Um, and here's what you do. You get tours. You walk through it. You read about all the stuff that happened in the past. But guess what's happening now? Nothing is happening now. There's nothing real happening now in this ruin. All it is is for sightseeing to say, here's what happened this day. Here's what happened this many years ago. Here's what was going on this many years ago. Here's when this destruction happened. Here's when this was rebuilt. Here's when this was going on. And so it's, it's just a memorial. Nobody lives there. Nobody uses that space anymore. All we do is, did we pay money? I don't remember. We may have paid money, a small... I think we paid some euros to get in. We, all we do is have people pay money to, to walk around and look at it and take pictures and selfies and go, I'm in Ireland. Woo. Now, if we apply that to our lives, what happens is sometimes we memorialize the ruins of our lives. Oh, man, when I was a kid, this really bad thing happened to me. And we're just... We just always... You know, there's no... I'm just going to tell you about all the ruins and all we are is memorializing them. Hey, come inside. I want you to see. I want you to come by and walk through this place and take pictures and nothing's done. The ruin doesn't become rebuilt. The, you know, nothing changes in my life. I don't get healed. I don't get free. I don't get restored. I, I don't have hope. I don't have joy. It's just, hey, this all this happened. And we, we memorialize it. We kind of set it up as a thing. Here's the thing I always talk about. Here's what happened to me. Won't you feel sorry for me? Won't you take a selfie with me? So we can go, oh, I'm with my friend who's really, really sad. And they're really having a hard time right now. And so... That's not what God calls us to do. God doesn't call us to memorialize things. That'd be like if we went to the tomb of Jesus and He had he had died and He was still dead and we just said, Oh, Jesus, He was a great guy. and Oh, I think He was God's Son, but I don't know. But He had this amazing life. But, oh, all that's in the past. Because, see, with God, there's always the now. When you memorialize a ruin... You are saying that the past has more power than the present or the future. With God, the present is always the time of power. What, G- what does it say in the Word of God? Hey, now's the day of salvation. Today's the day of salvation. You know, sometimes we're always waiting on the someday. You know, someday. Well, what about now? What what about now? What about what about saying, You know what, God, right now I'm going to take hold of this. Right now I'm going to believe you for this. Right now I'm going to trust you for this. Right now I'm going to go after this. I'm going to change something. I'm not going to just walk through this memorial and remember it and go, Oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. Here's the picture. Here's the photo. Here's the postcard. What God calls us to is to rebuild and to restore. To see Everyone enter in to their created purpose, to become who they were meant to be. You know, some people have been so ruined that they turn into completely different people, right? When you have bad stuff happen to you, you change. You're transformed. Let's be honest. We're not minimizing that ruins. We're not trying to say pretend they don't exist. No, we're saying something greater than the ruin exists. We're saying that someone greater than the person that hurt me exists. We're saying someone greater than all the stuff that's happening on earth right now, all the craziness in our world, that there is someone who can do something about that. And his name is Jesus. And he has sent the Holy Spirit to those who are his followers and says, hey, guess what? You get to be a part of this. You get to be a part of seeing people return to their intended state of creation to become who they were meant to be. Now what happens when we rebuild, when we try to rebuild things in our lives, it's kind of like the story of Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah in the Old Testament is a story about a man named Nehemiah who was called by God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a city in what? Ruin. It was devastated. It was torn down. Everything was broken. It said that when Nehemiah heard the news about what had happened there, he wept and wept all day. One of the first things we have to get if I'm going to see someone rebuilt is I got to get God's heart. I got to have his heart for somebody else. You know when Jesus looked out on the crowds, what does it say? He had compassion on them. You know what? We don't have to we can't work that up. We can't pretend that. We can't fake it until we make it. <laughs> it's got to be it's got to come from him. It's, there's just a willingness on our part to say, God, start moving in my heart. Help me see things the way you want me to see things. Help me see people you, you want me to see them. And so Nehemiah was so moved that, that he did something about it. It wasn't just like he had a nice, you know, church service where you come and you cry. Ah, and you go home. That was really fun. That was so good. I got to cry. <laughs> I feel better now. And there's no, nothing wrong with crying. I, I think you should cry. Um, men and women, boys and girls, there's good reasons to cry. Because it was it was a terrible thing. There was a ruin in Jerusalem, but Nehemiah didn't stay crying. He said, "I'm going to do something. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to take a step of faith." And he took a step of faith. He was the cupbearer to the to the to the king, and he said, "Hey, king, I want to I want to go do this. I want to go rebuild this." And it was amazing. It's a, it's really an amazing story that the king says to his cupbearer, "All right, go ahead. I'm going to give you everything you need. To go rebuild the the city from your people." <laughs> I mean, Nehemiah may not have even been expecting that. <laughs> been like, I'm gonna, I'll share it with the king and see what happens. Probably, not, probably nothing's going to come about this. Have you ever done that with God? You're like, okay, God, hear this, here's what's this. And he says, all right, let's go do it. You're like, oh, no, I just wanted to talk to you about it. <laughs> I didn't want to do anything. I just, I just wanted to let you know, hey, God, can you do something? He's like, yeah, go ahead and go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you all the resources you need. I'm the king, and so go ahead and go. You go do it. Do what is in your heart. That's what it says about Nehemiah. Do what's in your heart. And so sure enough, Nehemiah, he goes, he surveys the land, and he begins to have opposition because what happens when you attempt to rebuild is there will be enemy opposition when you're trying to restore something when you're trying to break through when you're trying to press through to a new place when you're trying to overcome addiction when you're trying to overcome a, a way a, a thought pattern that plagues you over and over again when you're trying to get past doubt or fear or anxiety or anything that would try to hinder you from walking in the fullness of peace and joy that that Jesus has there will be opposition and so what happens is these two guys named Sanballat and Tobiah start mocking Nehemiah. I think I have the scripture there in Nehemiah 2. And it says, but when Sambalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and, and some other guy named Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us, say, what is this you're doing, they asked. Are, are you rebelling against the king? And then later on in chapter 4, those same two guys show up when Nehemiah's starting to get everything going. They actually begin to, the rebuilding process. And it says when, when they heard this, when they heard that they were re- rebuilding the wall, Sanballat became very angry and was greatly incensed and He ridiculed the Jews saying this, in the presence what are those feeble Jews doing will they restore their wall will they offer sacrifices will they will they finish in a day can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are and so there's there's going to be a voice that comes in your head and in the voice of someone that you're ministering to that says this is not going to work this is not going to happen you're not going to make it through it's going to be too hard the liar is always going to come and try to discourage you and say, "That can't happen. Oh, there's no way for that to happen. You, if your life has been too far ruined, you've been too messed up, you've made too many bad choices. And Nehemiah, what does Nehemiah do? He just keeps working on the wall. He keeps going, He says, "No, we're going to build the wall. We're going to build the wall. We're going to build the wall." We're going to build the wall. We're going to rebuild the ruin. We're going to keep going on this thing. And so sometimes we just need some endurance. We need some, we need some, some press through. We need, we need something that would say, we're just not going to give up. Some tenacity. Amen. Sometimes you need some spiritual tenacity to say, I'm, going to, I'm just going to get through this. This is going to happen. Sometimes you need someone else to stand with you. And when you're standing with someone else, you can be tenacious and say, I'm not going to give up on this person. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to see their life restored. I'm going to see a breakthrough in their life. I'm going to see them become who they were meant to be. If they're bound by depression, if they're bound by fear and discouragement, if they're bound by sexual addiction or any kind of, any kind of addiction, no, this is not this is not greater than Jesus. And Nehemiah finished the wall with a lot of help. Everyone was helping. All the people who didn't work on walls, all the different people who had different occupations, it says, hey, this person did this. This person did this. This person this took this section. This group took this section. This guy with his daughters went over here and built this section. It didn't matter if they knew how to build. They're like, we're just going to do it. Sometimes you don't have to like go, okay, hold on. I've got to call Pastor Ashley. <laughs> Ashley. Ashley. <laughs> I need your help. You know how to do this. <laughs> John jumpo, jumpo. John, Poe, John Poe, I need your help, man. Miss Dorothy, Miss Dorothy, I need your help. You know, and it's okay to get help, but sometimes it's okay to say, you know what? I'm going to try to build it. I'm going to go with Jesus. I've got Jesus in me and say, you know what? I can pray for this person. You know what? I'm, I'm going to go after it this time. I'm still going to call Pastor Ashley and say, Hey, I'm praying for this person. Will you join with me? But I don't need her to show up. I don't need this special person to show up. Because why? Because the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. So Nehemiah finishes the wall. And it's a huge breakthrough. It's a miracle. It's, it's something that no one expected. They finish it so fast that, that everyone's shocked. And it says that all their enemies were then like they were just ashamed and they just kind of tucked their tails and runs. You know, when you stand up to the devil, it says resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. It doesn't say he might. It's possible. No, it says He will. So sometimes you just have to say, I am going to resist. Uh, You are now a part of the resistance. There's a good resistance going on. There's probably all kinds of other resistances that are bad, but this is a good one. Resisting the devil so that he can flee from you. When those lies come in, we just say, I resist you. To take captive every thought and make it obedient unto Jesus Christ. And so what happens... Person by person, what happens is then cities get restored. You know, it says rebuild ancient ruins, and then it talks about cities. And, you know, God has a heart for cities. God has a heart for cities. You know, God, I think God calls people to cities. He calls, he, he calls ministries to cities. He calls churches to cities. You know, there's, there's a reason we're here. There's a reason we're in Midland, just as I was saying before. There's a reason you live in Midland, Texas. And you can choose to buy into the thing that says, Oh, when I just get out of Midland, then things will be better. Look, I've lived in lots of different places. And the only place I ever want to live is where God wants me to be. There's only one place. If He calls you out of Midland, then get out of here. (laughs) Don't stay. Don't stay here because it's comfortable. Don't stay here because your family's here. If He calls you out, there is a reason that He has believers in each city. Because God has a, has, a, has a master plan where he's like, look, we've got to affect regions. We've got to affect lots of people. You know, P, the, the whole movement in, in our nation and in much of the world is towards cities. People are moving away from the rural areas. They are coming in. You know, right now we've got lots of people moving into Midland, right? And we can take one of two perspectives. Oh, my gosh. There's way more traffic here. Man, all the, man, these people that are coming in, they're not, they've they, they got issues, man. They're, we don't need those people here. We can take that perspective, or we can take it like this. Every time I'm in a longer line, or I'm behind someone who doesn't look like they belong to Jesus, and you're like, man, I wish they didn't live here. It's like you can say, thank you, Lord, that you brought that person here to be a part of the harvest. Thank you, here that you you're bringing those people to this city so they can be reached with the love of Jesus, so that their ruined lives can be restored. Amen. There is something more than just me having a good life, me having three kids and a, two dogs and a nice house, and you know, there's there's something there's something more, and it's a perspective change. We can all get into the complaining factor. People are coming into the United States. Hey, guess what? It's it's an opportunity for harvest. It's an opportunity for people to be reached by Jesus. They're being moved. The world is being moved to the cities so that more people can be reached. Can you not see God's purpose at work? He's not concerned with our comfort. He's not concerned with, with us having just a great life. He's concerned with people's lives coming in contact with the truth and the power of His salvation and His restoration and His freedom and rebuilding their lives so they become who they were intended to be so they can worship Him forever and ever and ever and have everlasting joy will be upon them. So pray for your city. Pray for your city. Pray for our city. If you don't live in Midland, pray for your city. Pray that God's purpose will be accomplished. Pray that the ruin of the city... We can go around places in Midland. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of things that have been ruined. And I'm not talking about physically. I mean, there is, there is some things that could be fixed up, I'm sure, physically. But on the outside, we're talking about spiritually. We're talking about relationally. We're talking about... Uh, Uh, emotionally, that God wants to restore this city to be what it was created to be. You know, when the ruin of greed comes into our city, we can resist that thing and say, no, we're going to rebuild this city to be what it was created to be. This city was not created to be greedy. This city was created to be generous and godly. That when God blesses, it's not for our own blessing, it's for the blessing of the nations, it's for the blessing of the world. And finally, it says this in verse 4. We're going to wrap up verse 4. We're going to do a whole verse today. It's shocking. Kind of like really, that's like 25% faster than normal. Um, And the devastations of the generations or the things that have been devastated for generations. Here's the other thing I feel like God is saying that God wants to transform our, our family lines spiritually. You know, there's something that happens when someone comes to Jesus and they're the first one in their family. What happens is there's a, there's a total change in the generations that follow. See, it's not, just about, it's not just about me. It's not just about my kids. I'm thinking, man, what do I want my, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, and my great-great-grandkids to be? Do I want them to be on the same level as me? No, I want him to I want him to, to go farther. I want him to to get deeper into, into God. I want him to, to influence more people. I want him to be more successful, to be able to shine brighter, whatever words you want to use. I want him, but there has to be a change where I'm saying, I'm gonna I'm gonna change the the spiritual DNA in my family. Amen. It's totally possible. It's totally possible. You know when when uh, Both of my parents took what they got and they walked further with God. Now, my mom grew up in a nice Christian religious home, slightly racist, in North Carolina, in the backwoods of North Carolina... And my dad grew up in Southern California, kind of went to church, but wasn't really, it was, you know, it was, there. It was an option, so <laughs> you could go. But both my parents at some point really met Jesus. And they decided as they walked together that he was going to be number one. He wasn't going to be just one of the options. See, that's, that's the main difference between someone that just goes to church and kind of fits in or someone that's really following Jesus is he's number one. That all of what I want no longer matters. It's not important what I want. Now, he does work with the desires of my heart because I'm, I'm a renewed person. But it's, you have to die before you're resurrected. If you've never died to yourself, then you can't resurrect a new life. And so you have to die to all that stuff and let God rebuild what He wants to rebuild and let Him restore what He wants to restore. Let Him bring up what what He wants to bring up. And here's the deal. Because my parents walked with Jesus and made Him number one, my life has been radically different than their life. I know some of you know my parents. My dad did pastor here. Uh, uh, more, more than 11, almost 12 years ago is when he left this church. And, you know, when you saw my parents and later in life, you probably thought, oh, man, they're just the perfect people. They just walked with Jesus and did all this stuff. And, and that's, not, that's not the case. It wasn't always like that. There was a whole lot of ruin that had to be restored to where they became who they were 30 years later. And when you, walk, when you walk that way, your kids and your grandkids have a path cleared for them that is a lot easier. I didn't have to go through as much ruin as my parents. I still made plenty of bad choices. Most of my ruin came from my own choices. It wasn't because my parents ruined my life. Now, some of us were at that starting point where parents were not a good relationship and were coming from brokenness. And guess what? We get to start and say, I'm going to establish something that's going to affect my kids and my grandkids and their kids and their kids and what could happen in five or six generations of following Jesus in my family. That's a lot of blessing, right? What what does God... I mean, even in the Old Testament, it says... uh, And we can look at this just as an example. It says... It says the curses will go to the third or fourth generation. But how long do the blessings go? A thousand generations. You know, some of us, we're walking in things that we had from maybe our great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. Maybe they were totally walking with Jesus, and their blessing is still being received by you today, six or seven generations down the line. I mean, it's an awesome thing. It's also kind of a, a sobering thing to think, hey, the way I live my life and walking with Jesus could affect my great, 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 great grandkids if Jesus doesn't come back in that time period. And that that gives me a whole bigger perspective to say, okay, I'm not living just for myself. I'm living for the future. I'm living for those who will come after me. I want to see the generations that have been devastated restored to the generations that that are created and walking in purpose that are rebuilt. I'm going to, I'm going to close so I want us to stand. Thank you Holy Spirit. Right now just everybody close their eyes. We're just going to kind of kind of interact with the Holy Spirit. Let God God speak to you, speak to your own heart right now. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to to speak to us. Father, right now I pray for people that you've put in our lives. Right now, if there's anyone in your life that you know God has put in your life, that you know that their life has been ruined or whether that's by someone else or themselves, right now just lift them up in prayer. God, we are we are praying for those people that you have put in our lives that we might be an instrument used to bring... We might be a Nehemiah in their life where we are broken, we get your heart, and then we we begin to see their lives rebuilt. We begin to see their lives restored. We begin to see their lives transformed by Jesus Christ. Lord, we call those people into relationship with you. We thank you that nothing is impossible, Lord. Even if it looks like, man, how could that happen? How could God touch this person? Right now we choose to declare and believe, God, you are working in their lives. You are restoring their life. You are calling them into wholeness, God. Where there's brokenness, God, you're restoring and rebuilding in Jesus' name. And we thank you right now for our own lives, God. For anybody here who is a first-generation believer in Jesus. That they're the first one in their family to really be... Man, Jesus is number one. I'm going to follow him with all their heart. Right now, I just thank you for, for giving strength to that every single one of those people, God, that they will walk in your anointing, they will walk in your, in your, in your endurance, they will walk with your hope, they will walk with your strength, that you will, they will begin to see more and more breakthroughs, God, that they will not be, grow discouraged by the opposition that has come against them in their own lives and in the lives of their family members, God. I pray right now for just a, a renewing of that vision and that hope to walk with you and to see breakthrough in our families. God, we declare breakthrough, Lord, anything in our families right now, anyone in our families who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we are asking you to invade their life, God. We are asking you to spare their life. We are asking you to, to work in their life, Lord, to open their eyes, to, to send someone to them, to have them open the Bible, Lord, to have an encounter with you, God, to have supernatural working in them so that they might turn their hearts to you, they might surrender, Lord, we thank you that no one is too far, no ruin is too much that you can't restore it. Lord, it's just in this scripture. It says some of these ruins are ancient ruins, God. There's some brokenness that has been there a long, long time, Lord. But we refuse to believe that it has to stay that way. We believe that you are at work and that you are greater. And we call life to those places that are dead in Jesus' name. We call healing into those places that are broken. And we call joy into those places that are discouraged and and despaired. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. We choose to receive your calling on our lives, God. We bless our city right now. We bless the city of Midland right now. Just go ahead and bless the city right now. I just want you all, don't have me pray. You pray. Bless the city of Midland. Right now, just go ahead where you're at. Let's bless our city. Let's declare something over it. Declare what what needs to be true in Midland, what it was created for. In Jesus' name, God, we we declare that Midland was created to bring families together, not separate marriages and children and husbands and wives, God. We declare that you meant for wholeness, Lord. We declare that there, this is a place of peace and forgiveness, not a place of, of revenge and abuse, God. Generosity, 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 not greed, Lord, generosity. We're seeking after Jesus, not the oil, Lord, not not what oil can bring. We're seeking what you can bring, Jesus. May this be a city that has influence, Lord, not just physically but spiritually. Lord, may it be a city of influence to influence people to look to you and your kingdom. justice in our city racial reconciliation in our city break down the walls in our city lord between between economic groups lord between cultural groups between uh, ethnic groups god may there be a coming together and a love together for one another as as the create, ones created in the image of god Thank you, Lord, for restoration. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to something greater. And we honor you today in Jesus' name. Amen.